This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle, joined once again by my co-host, Brian Solomon. How's it going? Great, Al. Happy to be here with you, as always. Yes, you've got some big news about uh, your book, right? Uh, some exciting stuff going on. I do. You know, I, I wanted to say that um, it recently went on uh, pre-sale, so it's av- actually available to be ordered now. And uh, just based on the pre-sale alone, it was number one recently on Amazon for wrestling books, like all wrestling books. So, uh, yeah, so it's called Blood and Fire, and it's the biography of the Sheik. So if you you just even search for Blood and Fire and Sheik in Amazon, you'll find it and you can pre-order it. Um, It's not out till April 12th, but, um, you know, we're we're actually still – finalizing the look of the book and everything, but it'll definitely be ready by then. So I'm, I'm super, super excited. Did you get any kind of a, a boost from the, uh, the vice documentary about uh, Onita and FMW and the subject we've talked about that crazy fire match with the Sheik? Yeah. You know, it's possible that, uh, it, the timing of the on sale, uh, may have been beneficial. Cause like you yeah. said, the Sheik was mentioned in there. Um, and, and Sabu was interviewed and they showed some footage from that match. Um, so, I mean, you know, it could be, it's possible. I think, um, it was interesting that the title, I don't know if you noticed the title of that episode, the FMW, um, dark side of the ring episode was blood and wire. Oh, uh, really? Yes. So uh, not that I'm paranoid, but considering that that my book's called Blood and Fire and it's also about the Sheik. Yeah, uh, I would say uh, it may not entirely have been a coincidence. Just I, I don't think I've asked you, but 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 how much, if at all, was uh, Sabu a resource for you in putting the book together? Well, not directly, unfortunately, because yeah. um, Sabu, you know, I had reached out to him and I was really good friends with Melissa Coates, who was his valet and, and his girlfriend. And uh, she had tried to really help me out. But uh, Sabu really kind of will only talk if you pay him. He's one of those guys. Abdullah the Butcher was the same way. You have to pay him. And it's just that's kind of out of my hands. ECW Press does not pay for interviews. And I certainly don't have the money to start paying people out of my pocket. Right, nor should they. I mean, that's just not the way this works. I mean, he would occasionally he would like throw a hint my way through Melissa. Like it was really weird, like a game of of telephone. Um, and also, um, Melissa, and I should say, unfortunately, as many listeners may know, she did pass away a few months ago, which was horrible. And yep, we were yep. just, we had just been talking the night before about the book and about Sabu, but she was acting as a go between and she sent me a copy of his book, his uh, Sabu's book, which is, um, uh, scars, silence and super glue. I think that's the name of it. Or something like that. And um, I did use his book as an extensive source. So like I, where I'm not quoting him directly, but I am quoting from the book. And I and I did get some interesting facts from that book. So it was sort of like indirectly uh, dealing with Sabu. It's too bad we couldn't have um, had more of a connection. 
Yeah. What, what did you think of the uh, the Vice documentary on uh, FMW? I thought it was a blast. Uh, and, and, you know, it's always great when, when you don't know the subject all that well, because it, it is kind of a, a revelation. And, um, you know, probably the best education I've gotten <laughs> before that was our conversation about some of this. Uh, so what was your take on it? It was very interesting. Um, I, I knew some things about FMW, but really because of the book, the main stuff that I knew was as it related to Sheik and Sabu. Mm-hmm. So this kind of gave me even more background. Like I, I didn't, I don't think I fully realized how successful the promotion. Right, was. I think that was my big takeaway too. I mean, you hear the kind of money that Onita was making right. uh, at the time. Yeah, he was a, I, a big, big success and a big draw. I saw it mainly as the J- Japan version of ECW, but especially like ECW in the early years. But it sounds like the success that FMW had at their peak may have been bigger than anything ECW experienced, honestly. And I have to say, you know, it's funny because we talk about these death matches and things. And you remember the Nick Gage episode, which really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, And this felt different to me. And the reason is this may not be my favorite kind of wrestling. I'm probably not going to sit down and like kick back and enjoy some FMW death matches. I know a lot of people do love it. But the difference is. This was big business. This was making money. So it makes more sense to me that mm-hmm. they were doing it, you know, than than what happens with at least so far. I know they're doing they're on the rise, but so far with GCW, FMW is a totally different animal. It was like you had Onita on, they showed him on like game shows, mm-hmm. yeah. TV talk shows and things. So I, I thought it was really interesting. Person of course, my personal bias. I wish they had gone into more stuff about the Sheik because I do know that Onita and the Sheik were very close. Onita had been a young boy for Baba in all Japan, and so he was carrying bags around for guys like the Sheik in the 70s, and he worshipped him. And and like really, when he started the company, Sheik was one of the first guys he wanted to try to bring in, and he didn't even know if he was still alive, let alone active, and he somehow got a hold of him. And in his own way, I mean, I know, I know the poor guy almost died, um, but in his own way, he gave the Sheik kind of like this coda to his career that I think he deserved. There was even a retirement ceremony for the Sheik in 1998 that was done by Onita in FMW, and it, it was like the the um, you know the the icing on the cake to his career. So they had a really interesting relationship. Um, and I, I would have liked to have seen a lot more. I would love to see a whole episode just on the Sheik, but I think I don't know if they generally tend to go back that far on on in, on uh, be, um, Dark Side of the Ring. I feel like if it's like the 80s is like their cutoff. So it reminds me a little bit of what ESPN does with the 30 for 30 specials and what HBO has done with their really great sports documentary. They have a series, uh, I think it was Real Sports or something with Bryant Gumbel, really good stuff. And um, the problem that I have with those two is that they also go back only basically to like 1980. And that's all well and good. I know they're, they're going for their audience and what they actually remember in their own lifetime. But there's a lot of really fascinating stories in sports and wrestling that go back before that. And I, I would love for dark side of the ring, maybe as the seasons go along and they start running out of material yeah. to tackle some of those that there's just really fascinating stuff. There might not be as many people alive to talk about it firsthand, yeah, it's but one it's, of the still, challenges, yeah. it's worth doing though. I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that that even kind of overlaps into so much of what the headlines are in wrestling these days about demographics, right? And, and the reality is, um, if if you're in an older demographic, people for whom some of that would be relevant, um, you know, you're not you're not always the highest priority um, for uh, media companies. And, and so, yeah, a lot of that that's history uh, gets lost. Uh, but yeah, I've enjoyed the, the second half of this season of uh, Dark Side of the Ring, I think, more than the first. I thought the Canyon one was really good. Um, yeah. We talked about the uh, the Plane Ride from Hell. So are they? do you know if they're done? Because uh, they had the rerun on this week, uh, the, the David Schultz one. Uh, well, they had the Johnny Canine one was on last night. I oh, really? Right. I did see that. Okay, good. Yeah, Johnny Canine, and then they're doing, I know they're doing Luna Vachon. Oh, okay, um, good. There's a few left. They are doing, they're finishing, I think I'm, I'm missing some. There's definitely more to come. But they're closing out this season with the steroid trial. Which Wow, you, that's huge. Yeah, that's that's huge. I think probably the, they're not touching the Ring Boy scandal. I'm thinking that's probably a whole separate episode. If they Yeah, I mean, you, you say they, they run out, but then, you know, this is pro wrestling. No, so true. They ever run out. Another one from the 80s that I know they're eventually going to do, they have to do it. Uh, but I think they're holding off is the whole Andy Kaufman thing. Even I don't know sure. if it quite qualifies for dark side, but I mean, from the point of view of his career, it kind of wasn't seen as the best thing for his career. But um, I think the hold off on that is you can't do that episode without Jerry Lawler. And as long as Jerry Lawler is under contract to WWE, they're not going to be able to get him. So they're probably my guess is they probably want to do it. And they're probably waiting until they could, you know, maybe get Lawler to be involved. Yeah, that's not all that dark. I mean, it was uh, controversial, fascinating. I mean, talked about, um, I guess in a way, it's sort of like the one that that, uh, they just re-ran with David Schultz and and the slap heard around the world. um, Right. A lot of people do talk about how, I mean, even though it's remembered as a great angle, and it was, uh, from an outside the wrestling bubble, a lot of people talk about that as part of the downward spiral of Andy Kaufman's career and life. I mean, like all That's of his, said, Yeah. It would almost end up being kind of a, bi- a biography of Andy. Yeah. His taxi co-stars. Like I remember hearing, I forget who it was, somebody who had, who was a wrestling person and who had interviewed like Judd Hirsch or somebody like that. And when they would bring up the wrestling, they would just get really sad and just be like, I don't want to talk about that. Like Andy, you know, that was a really, bad time of his life and we didn't understand why he did that and it kind of like ruined his career so i mean that's you have a that's the point of view of non-wrestling people of him doing that so yeah yeah it's fascinating i mean the the movie they made what's that close to 20 years ago now um that was a big piece of it so yeah i mean it it wasn't a small chapter in in his history um anyway uh uh, yeah lots of fun stuff to watch uh on vice uh as for this episode uh stay tuned uh at the end uh, i've got a fun conversation with uh, a major name uh who's about to have the biggest match of his career uh the walking weapon josh alexander who i've got to say has the coolest nickname maybe in in all of wrestling right that's just fantastic um, yes. who is going to be challenging for the Impact World title at Impact's biggest show of the year, Bound for Glory. I got to chat with him yesterday uh, talking about um, this opportunity and, uh, you know, all the stakes and also uh, a kind of uh, a look at, at Impact, something we don't always talk about too much here. So he gives his thoughts on working for the company and kind of where they're at now um, and a fun conversation. He even talks about, you know, seeing his old tag team partner uh with with uh, another man and uh, we kind of had some fun talking about you know make, maybe making some comparisons about a breakup and then you see your old girlfriend with a new guy uh so uh, a lot of fun stay tuned for that 
Um, let's tell them also about uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated right now, the PWI 500, the, uh, let me get this right, the 30th anniversary? No, the 30th edition, yes, of the PWI. Now, wait a minute. It's the 30th anniversary of the PWI 500, right? <laughs> the 31st PWI 500 at the 30th anniversary uh, is available. It's got Kenny Omega on the cover, the number one ranked wrestler uh, in the world. Uh, still time to get this issue, uh, our biggest issue of the year, and it's absolutely loaded. Uh, I've got mine, the hard copy, uh, in my hand. You can uh, get yours um, sent to your house, or you can download it right away, the digital edition. If you subscribe, you get big, deep savings uh, over the cover price. And uh, in just a, a couple weeks now, we've got the uh, female 150. I think we dropped that bit of news earlier this week. Uh, it was the women's, it was originally it was the female 50, then the women's uh, 100. Now it's the women's 150, I believe. Uh, so that's growing, and uh, I had a hand in putting that together. Um, I think it, a lot of people can be talking about that uh, as well. And uh, we're we're just starting to get talking about uh, the tag team issue again, uh, the second annual uh, tag team 50. I think we're keeping it at 50. Uh, we're starting to put that together. So uh, this is fun, and it's kind of becoming the, the ranking season uh, for us. And uh, you don't want to miss any of them. So uh, go ahead and subscribe now pwi-online.com. Uh, Again, you get big, deep savings over the cover price. Uh, don't have to worry about finding it at your CVS or your Barnes & Noble, if there's still any of those around. Uh, just have it sent to, uh, right to your home. Uh, a completely redesigned PWI uh, webpage uh, with uh, lots of fun links, uh, a more user-friendly uh, look, uh, interface, and um, links to our social media at official PWI on Twitter and Instagram. We also do a bunch of stuff on on YouTube. Uh, Candace has got some great interviews, some of which we featured here on the the podcast. Uh, check those out. And what else? Uh, pick up the shirts, please. Uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated line of T-shirts at prowrestlingtees.com and whatamaneuver.net. Uh, all right. So what I wanted to talk about uh, last time, uh, it's been a few weeks. So uh, one of the big things that's happened since we've last talked is the WWE draft. And we've talked in the last few episodes about, you know, WWE's response. If it's that, maybe they would deny that that's the case uh, to the success that AEW is having. And, um, you know, they've, they've done drafts lots of years, so this wouldn't be a, a direct response. But uh, it is or you would think it is in as much as it's an opportunity for them to uh, kind of recast both brands uh, and sort of optimize them, you know, put put their best foot forward, so to speak. And it's kind of interesting where where they land. Um, so why don't I go over the rosters? I think I've got them here. It's probably the easiest way to go. Uh, so Raw, um, their uh, male roster uh, after the draft is uh, you got Big E uh, at the top as the WWE champion, which I don't know that we've talked about. Um, and I think pretty universally he's gotten some some good reviews. Uh, and I think Big E's doing a fine job. I mean, how much of a difference maker he's going to be still remains to be seen. Uh, you got Randy Orton, Riddle, uh, Edge, for what that's worth. I mean, a part-timer. Uh, Keith uh, Bearcat Lee. Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. Uh, Austin Theory moved up from NXT. Uh, Bobby Lashley, Seth Rollins. Damian Priest, AJ Styles, and Omas. Uh, Kevin Owens comes over to Raw. Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins, the Street Profits. Uh, Finn Balor comes over from SmackDown. Karrion Cross, Gable Stevenson, uh, uh, it's a big one, um, Olympic gold medalist. You know, what, what he really means 
I, I don't know because I'm guessing it's a while before we actually see him in the ring. Uh, Drake Maverick, Reggie, Akira Tazaro, Tazawa, uh, Chad Gable, Otis, R-Truth. So basically the the 24, uh, is that what they call it? 24-7 title uh, mm-hmm. comes over to, to Raw. Or was it there already? I don't even know. Uh, John Morrison, T-Bar, Apollo Crews, uh, Commander Aziz, they come over. Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, the Dirty Dogs. Uh, Jackson Riker, Veer, Shelton Benjamin, Cedric Alexander, and The Miz. Um, another thing we haven't talked about, the Hurt Business being back together, which I popped huge for. Uh, I was a big fan of the, of the Hurt Business. Um, as for the women, uh, Bianca Belair comes over to Raw. Uh, Rhea Ripley and Nikki Ash, the tag champions. Becky Lynch comes over. Alexa Bliss, Carmella, Nia Jax, Selena Vega, Dewdrop, Dana Brooke, Liv Morgan, Mia Yim uh, called up Tamina and Tegan Knox. Uh, so SmackDown, uh, smaller, but they've got one fewer hours, so I guess that makes sense. Uh, you got Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre, probably the biggest name going over there. Kofi Kicks and Xavier Wood, New Day go over there, so they keep um, the the New Day members separate on uh, different brands. Uh, Happy Corbin, Madcap Moss, Isaiah Scott called up. Uh, Top Dalla, Ashanti Adonis, uh, Jeff Hardy, Jimmy Uso, Jey Uso, Nakamura. Rick Boogs, Sheamus, Eric and Ivar, the Vikings, Ricochet uh, moved over to SmackDown. Umberto Carrillo and Angel, Angel Garza, Cesaro, Ridge Holland, Sami Zayn, Drew Gulak, Mace, Mustafa Ali, Mansoor, Jinder, Mahal, and Shanky. And um, the women, uh, you got Charlotte going over there, so they switched champions. B-Fab called up. Naomi, Sasha Banks, Shayna Baszler, uh, Zaylee, Aaliyah called up. Tony Storm, Shotzi Blackheart, and Natalia. Uh, so uh, a lot there. What what's the 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 big takeaway? I mean, one thing that I was sort of concerned about was I think SmackDown for some time has been significantly better than than Raw. It, it part of that is just being an hour less, but I also think they had a more solid roster. And what happened is kind of what I worried about is that in uh, an attempt to um, sort of equalize the two brands um i worry that you end up with kind of two mediocre brands um rather than one pretty good one and then one pretty bad one which was raw uh but i don't know i don't know if that's the case what's your take well i i think that well first of all i just want to say i don't know if they always did it this way or if this is a newer development but i do not think that title holders should be up for draft I think it's it's ridiculous if you've got somebody that's the champion or a champion on your brand, that person shouldn't just be able to jump over to the other brand and just switch titles or whatever the heck they do. Uh, I think champions should be exempt uh, from the draft. I also have to say, um, I just and I, I don't know if I'm in the minority or the majority here, but I think this entire draft concept is so incredibly tired to me. And I can't understand how people even muster up the enthusiasm to even get excited about it. It's just this constant shuffling back and forth of guys from and girls from one show to the other. And just, uh, it, it just gets to the point where it just all starts to feel kind of meaningless to me. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I never was a fan of the brand extension to begin with. Um, it just I can't get excited about the draft anymore. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I mean, it certainly doesn't mean what it used to. And the ratings uh, bear that out. And and I get what you're talking about. I also do see the need for a semi-regular shakeup because 
the reality is in a year or two, you're going to exhaust those top matches, right? I mean, you could only have Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre uh, wrestle so many times, right, before um, th- they need fresh opponents. So I think it accomplishes that. I don't know if it's a matter of maybe keeping it a, a lot smaller, right, um, or or doing it throughout the year. You know, I mean, certainly you well, look at the— know, we know that in—look, in, in reality—I mean, obviously all wrestling's a work. Everything's a work. The draft's a work. We know that guys' uh, talent can and do— just randomly switch throughout the year anyway, whenever Vince feels like it, you know, it's not like it's a, it's not like the NFL draft or something. Yeah. And that's the problem is that it's been so kind of haphazard how they've done this over the years, what the rules are. uh, It's just a mess. So it's hard to sink your teeth into it. Yeah. I don't know if, if maybe the draft should be limited to, I don't know, six people on, on um, both rosters, Uh, something like that, and then with some leeway to make moves throughout the year, which, as you've touched on, of course, they they can and and do um, as they wish. Uh, The the other thing is, like, when when you move this many people around, it it really waters down the whole thing where – you know, Raw just starts to look like SmackDown. SmackDown just starts to look like Raw. So so what's the point of it? Um, you know, and, and they both kind of lose their identity. I think it's good that the top guys basically stayed on, on their brands. Big E essentially had made the move to Raw with winning the um, the champion there, the championship there. So it makes sense that uh, he'd be uh, on Raw. Uh, so why don't we uh, talk about Raw? I think most fans... Um, Maybe I shouldn't speak for people, but certainly I think Raw has been the weaker brand for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, frankly, really hard to watch most weeks. Um, does it how much of the shakeup uh, changes that, you know, Biggie on top with a supporting cast that includes Lashley, who it looks like he might. I don't know if he's done with him or not. I mean, it feels like just a little more. um of a story to be told between those two Seth Rollins going over there. So you'd think that's going to be a feud for him um, down the line, maybe soon uh, Kevin Owens uh, in terms of like identifying who the potential challengers are uh, Orton is still there. Uh, Styles is there. Finn Balor, you know, that was one that I was sad to see in some ways come over because uh, he really, I thought helped make SmackDown a really good show. Uh, but having, you know, lost to Roman Reigns, I guess there's only so much he could do over there. So uh, maybe I, I, I don't know if one of them turns, he turns. Uh, but but you'd think he'd be a, a challenger. Uh, what does Raw look like after the draft? I think it's a little bit of what you were saying, kind of trying to even things out, spread things out. Um, I, but I think there's a root problem that's just bigger than even the names on the show. You know, it's just. It's a problem with the format of the show, the length of the show, the creative behind the show. And you can change the faces, and that might have a minimal impact. Like, I do think Raw might be a little bit more interesting. And uh, on on the converse, I think SmackDown might be a little less interesting uh, coming out of this draft. But I don't think anything really cataclysmic happens from stuff like this. And it's very telling to me, honestly, when you see, again, not to make this company versus company, but the tear that AEW has been on, just being on fire with these must-see shows. And and like people have said, Dynamite is, you know, one of the easiest shows to watch. Um, the energy and the and the kind of momentum 
And then you come back to WWE and it's very exemplary to me. Here they are again doing this very staid and very this like 20 year old concept, trotting it out again to people at a podium and we're supposed Mm -hmm. to get excited. And it's just like the ultimate symbolism of, of what's going on here, that they actually think that this is the proper response to me spells everything that's wrong with what's going on. I mean, if I had my way and, you know, I've been I've been blowing this trumpet for years, but this is the time for all hands on deck. I mean, they abandoned the brand split a few years back for a little while. They gave that a try and then they went back to it. I say, look, you are in a war right now and you are you, the tide is turning. This is when you you just put everyone together, just throw everything out there because they still have uh, they have way more talent than AEW has. This is not the time to still keep dancing around with this made up brand thing that you just created yourself, you know, out of the blue. Like this is not the time for that. Again, that's just my opinion. This is the time to put everyone on the front line and just focus on putting on the best shows that you can every week. And that's that. I I disagree because we've seen them take that tactic. And that was their response to when they would uh, be suffering in the ratings was to abandon the brand split. And that didn't work either. And, And essentially what that did was clearly make one of the shows, in most cases, SmackDown, the B show, uh, because the the episodic storytelling nature of wrestling, you can only do so much. And um, to advance a storyline from one week to the next is one thing, but to have to advance storylines on Monday and then again on Friday and then tell another chapter on Monday and then again a, th- a few days later on Friday uh, is challenging. And inevitably, uh, you know, remember there were years there where SmackDown was was almost Sunday night heat. I mean, they they wouldn't promote anything on right. it. They would just kind of throw matches out there cold. Typically, the the biggest stars weren't on it. Um, and I think that's where where you end up. And Fox isn't having that. If anything, right? But- WWE is, uh, you know, SmackDown has sort of become the the A show because of how much money Fox is, uh, is paying them and because they've got their biggest talent there, you know, Roman Reigns and now uh, Brock Lesnar. So I don't I don't think that's the answer. Well, that's the thing, though. SmackDown was not on Fox when they last reunited the brands. I think it was I, I forget words. Was it on sci fi or some ridiculous yeah. thing? It wasn't on Fox. Now it's on Fox. I think you, you absolutely could do compelling TV twice a week. Look, I know it's only been a few episodes, but AEW is doing exactly that now with Dynamite and Rampage. I mean, and they're even taping both in the same night, so they're keeping all the energy going. It's the same crowd. But they're it's also, off. you know, Dynamite's one hour less than than uh, Raw, and yeah, Rampage is one hour less than SmackDown. That is a huge problem that WWE has, and I think everybody would agree. Like, I can't find anybody that's like, yeah, I love that Raw is three <laughs> hours. Like, there's there's nobody who feels that way. The only people who feel that way is WWE and advertisers. Because, because and they, I get that, you know. Um, yeah, I've, that's why it'll never go away, because there's so much. I don't know about never, but that's why they're very reluctant, because there's money to be made. And as right. long as a network is able to say, yeah, we're okay with giving you three hours. They're going to take three hours. Look, if USA Network said you want four hours, they do four hours. Right. It's it, it's more revenue coming in without 
um, a lot more costs because they're there there anyway, right? So it's it's not an extra uh, night of production, getting the trucks out, paying the talent. Um, you just an, an extra hour to raw. So um, I don't see that going uh, away. And again, I I don't think um, merging the brand brands uh, really does anything. The, the other, while there isn't a brand split uh, in AEW, what you do have between Dynamite and Rampage is typically uh, people who wrestle on Dynamite won't wrestle on Rampage. So you've got a certain amount of stars and one week, you know, if you want to see John Moxley wrestle this week, it might be in Rampage next week. It might be uh, on Dynamite. And I suppose WWE uh, could do that, but they weren't terribly um, disciplined about doing it last time that they had the rosters merged. And so you'd have them wrestle on, on both nights and one just meant uh, a lot less uh, than the other. Um, let, let's talk about one person uh, in particular, spend a little more time on him. Uh, a biggie, you know, a, a month or so ago, a little more was a mid Carter, upper mid Carter with some momentum uh, on SmackDown. Now, essentially the top guy on raw that, that, you know, it, maybe it's feeling like the B show now, but it is the flagship and has been for uh, a long time. Um, you know, what do you see as his upside? Is he potentially uh, a needle mover, a difference maker? I had him pegged for this years ago. I mean, this is I mean, it's easy to say this is where he should have been a year or two ago. And I definitely feel that way. Like, I think that he was a natural opponent. For for Roman Reigns, I mean, I know why they didn't do it. I mean, they had a, a lot of other options that they saw as better at the time, but I think he could have been. I, I would go so far as to say that I think he had the potential to be exactly where he is now before New Day even existed. Um, I, I felt like he was one of the guys to really hang your hat on. And that's why my initial reaction to New Day in the beginning was, oh my God, why are they doing this to this guy? Like, like he should be in the main event. Like even then I felt that way. And so, I, I mean, I'm glad it's finally happening. Um, I, I think, I think this is what people want and WWE does not seems to have a problem with that. And that's why their booking sometimes is so unsatisfying compared to AEW because it's so, it's such a simple formula. Give people what they want, you know, <laughs> even if it's predictable, even if it's predictable, it's a catharsis. It's 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 what the fans want to see rather than I understand teasing things and and not completely satisfying your audience because you want them to keep coming back for more. But you can't have this pathological attitude that WWE has of constantly frustrating your audience like that. There's just something weird about it. And so this is great because it's something that people actually want and they're getting it and they're not, you know, having it kind of thrown back in their faces. So I think it's a great step in the right direction. I, I mostly agree. Uh, I, I think it's um, it creates a lot of goodwill with your existing fan base. I, right. I think it's a guy who um, fans had a connection to and kind of a sympathetic favorite and a fresh face and a guy who could put on exciting matches. He, he checks a lot of the boxes. All that said, I don't see him being a difference maker, right? And and that's one of the problems that WWE has is, you know, you you, you look back to The Rock and Steve Austin and, and those guys, John Cena, um, and there, you know, there was that time where um, they were just burning so hot, it felt like, 
Um, that trajectory, it, it happened fast from where the fans really got behind them and WWE got behind them in response, and then they were the top guy. And I heard somebody uh, make this point. I forget who it was. Somebody, uh, It feels like a Jim Cornette thing to say, but it wasn't Jim Cornette. Um, but, but, you know, Big E, to some extent, has been not defined down, but defined as what he is for so long, right? I mean, he's got like 10 years in the company now that uh, while similar similar to when Kofi got the title, it is uh, a feel-good moment and your existing fan base uh, likes it, but that's not going to set business on fire, right? And I just don't see a situation where Big E at the top, now you see the ratings really start to to increase and more people coming out to um, the, the arenas. And that's not at all a slight uh, on Biggie, who I like a lot. It just doesn't feel like he's that guy. Um, and he's and because these, we've seen him for so long, right? I mean, he's, yeah, but, this is the problem with waiting, you know, these, these super slow burns um, is that, you know, people, and the other thing that I think is um, really short-sighted, and they had an opportunity here to correct, and they just did it again, was keeping New Day uh, separate. I mean, I, I think that um, together they are more than the sum of their parts. Together, they are one of the most popular acts in WWE in the last 10 years. I mean, th they are. They, they sell tons of merch. Fans love them. Um, and I, I don't think it's, like, mutually exclusive that, that either – they are uh, together or, you know, they're separate and Big E is the champ. Um, I, I think you can have them on the same brand as they did with Kofi and have them appear together and Big E is the world champion. And I, I think he's actually elevated by having that support system that is so popular because it's just not the same act when he comes out by himself uh, as it is when the three of them are together. And I, it, it, sometimes it's cloying and it's a bit, bit much. Uh, it's not that they always hit home runs, but it is now a proven popular act. And, um, you know, it's good that they occasionally get them together for pay-per-views and things like that. Uh, but I don't see the, the need to keep them uh, apart. You know, I, I, one of the cool things about New Day is that it feels uh, so sincere. It really feels like three guys who love each other, who are genuinely uh, best friends, who have each other's back. And um, that's what made Kofi's title win at WrestleMania a few years ago so special. And having them there for, for Big E's uh, win uh, uh, several weeks ago. Uh, but otherwise, it's like, you know, they're kind of on their own. And, and it, it, it's an important part of the formula that's missing, I think. Yeah, I think it would be helpful if New Day continued to be kind of part of Big E's, you know, entourage, let's say, even as world champ. Kind of like how, how Lashley has had the hurt business i mean and and or the horsemen and things like that but the thing but but the thing that needs to be said too though when you're talking about kofi and this is the difference i mean look i don't know if this is just my perception i think this is fairly the general perception biggie was always the star of that group he was always the top guy of the three and kofi was not and kofi for as much as his win was glorious and it was the highlight of that wrestlemania and it should have closed the show um he his title reign was not a success. People rejected him. Fans rejected him. And, and I think only part of that was the booking. I just think they had a hard time, once he finally got there, seeing him in that spot. And I don't think they have that trouble with Big E. He's just got more. And I'm not saying, like you said, he's going to set the world on fire. But I think he's one of the best options they have right now. 
And he definitely is the star of of New Day. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, so very early on, and um, so the jury is out, but I think he's got to get some big, big wins under his belt, you know. Um, Should. I, I, and that's the, the good thing about this shakeup. You know, I, I expect and I hope that, you know, he beats – McIntyre clean in Saudi Arabia. Maybe not so great for McIntyre, who's now dropped several in a row. Um, you know, I think you could do the rematch with Lashley and have him go over clean and start essentially feeding him guys. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see a program with AJ. I'd like to see a program with uh, uh, maybe Kevin Owens, you know, these guys who are established guys and uh, have him uh, go over strong. All that, all that still, I don't know, puts him... Um, much higher than than he is now. I I just don't know that he's a difference maker. And frankly, um, I don't think WWE has the difference maker on their roster um, right now. Uh, no. And you know, an- another name that kind of you know been in the news as part of the draft. He stayed in Raw, but but kind of rebranded. Keith Lee. It, it's it's similar in that like you've got a guy who there was that window for him to have that momentum and. Um, they didn't do that. It's it's just a WWE way of doing is uh, doing things that it, it's the slow build. You you beat a guy a bunch of times. You, you define him down, and then sometime down the line, years later, um, you try to make him a top guy. And now he's got all that baggage. So um, I don't know. Uh, you know, one I think we talked about it in the last episode, but one potential example of kind of doing it right is uh, Braun Breaker, right? I mean, over on uh, NXT, and uh, you know. I haven't loved what they've done with with NXT the last few weeks. We've talked about it. I get why they're doing it, but it is good to see something we haven't seen so long, which is like the the new guy, the unknown, who debuts and uh, kind of catches on, and you see the upside, and they just push hard. And he's headlining uh, the, the next takeover, you know, challenging for the for the title. I don't think it's a bad idea to put the title on the guy. You know, is he green? Sure, and and that's always. Uh, the WWE way of, of doing things is that you uh, exhaust yourself coming up with reasons why not to do something. Uh, and you could do that. There, there, he's got all kinds of limitations and shortcomings, but he also has something special, right? So uh, I think you go all in. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing that. Yeah, I think he's got, I mean, you don't need me to say this, but he's got tremendous star potential. He's got a great look. He's got natural ability. He seems like he's he young. could be the- yeah, just huge. Yeah, he could be the kind of guy that could be the guy at one point. I'm a little bit trepidatious at the complete lack of experience that he has. Like, I think the matches we've seen him in on NXT, I believe, are the only matches he has ever had in front of an audience. Yeah, it's and fascinating. That's, true, that, that's a little bit that might be a little bit too fast. I mean, like to to have zero crowd experience and just get thrown out there. I mean, look, if it works, it works. Go for it. But, you you know, uh, he's he's really, 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 really not ready from that point of view. You, you know what I mean? Like, there's just I, – I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say. It's like you take – But it's also – yeah, I, I hear you. But, but also, remember, part of what they've done is, um, I think – more clearly define NXT as developmental. And in a way, that makes that championship and being the top guy in NXT sort of mean less. So where uh, uh, a year ago, or really even just a few weeks ago, 
being the NXT champion was like this this big important role. You're one of the top guys in WWE. It doesn't feel like that. It, it means that much anymore. So there is more leeway, I think, in taking an unknown who you have high hopes for. Put that title on him and essentially don't waste any time. Now, that doesn't mean that he's ready to be a top guy in Raw or SmackDown. Uh, but I think it's fine to, you know, strap the proverbial rocket to, to his back on NXT uh, and, and, you know, maybe in six months, a year, you could call the guy up and, uh, you know, the, the thing is like, don't pull back so much that, that, that's what you see so much. You saw it with, especially that's been the, the, the issue with NXT guys. You saw Keith Lee, you know, make it to the top on NXT, be the champion, come over to raw and, uh, just be squandered. Uh, so, so right. don't pull back. They had a real problem with the old NXT, as we all saw, and how they would transition people over. A lot of guys that were ready, that were completely ready, guys that were even proven commodities before they got to NXT, and they got spoiled, and they got ruined. But I think we're seeing now the opposite problem. This is the quandary that WWE is in now with NXT. They've established this brand. They've established this show as a destination show on a major cable network and all this stuff with advertising dollars. And now they're saying, well, we want to go back to just treating it as developmental again. And there's a problem there because now you're playing this out, this developmental system with guys that are green as grass and are going to get like 10 hundred times better guys that aren't quite ready yet. You're throwing them out there on national television in front of the whole audience. So everybody's seeing that develop mental process and their improvements and everything. And I don't know if that's the best idea, but but I don't know what the solution is because now you're stuck with USA and everyone saying, okay, well, we need content, you know? <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't know if you could have your cake and eat it too because I think in the long run, it hurts a lot of these guys. You know, we didn't see, this would be the equivalent of, imagine if like OVW show back 20 years ago was on national television on USA Network and you saw... Batista as Leviathan and John right. Cena as the prototype. And you saw like, you know, all those guys, you know, Brock Lesnar when he was right out of college. Like, I, I don't think it, I think it would have only hurt those guys. It wouldn't have helped them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, on that topic, why don't we talk about the, the, the call ups that they did do um, as part of the draft? So uh, on Raw, uh, let me go through this. Austin Theory. Uh, who, you know, was briefly on, on the main roster last year. He actually was part of WrestleMania in, in 2020, uh, but but clearly kind of a reintroduction. He had his uh, angle with Jeff Hardy, which I thought was pretty good. Um, the the Hit Row members, um, are they on Raw or SmackDown? SmackDown. Yeah. Uh, who else do we have here? Is that it? On Raw? It might be. Um there weren't a Among ton. the women, yeah. Tegan Knox and M Mia Yim. I don't know. Were they on the, the – I mean, I know Mia Yim was part of that awful um, – Right. What do they call them? Yeah, whatever they call them. Uh, right. But otherwise, we didn't see her. Yeah, we, we didn't see her much. Um, yeah. And on SmackDown, who do we have? Uh, let's go through these names. Yeah, not a lot. Um, BFAB, Zaylee, Aaliyah. Uh, so yeah, a few women, you know, interesting. I, I don't, I don't know what the message is. If you're a, a Roderick Strong or a Kyle O'Reilly, 
uh, is, is it just a case now that, you know, they're, they're lifers in NXT, do you think? And, and is that, I mean, I guess there are worse things in the world. They're, they're probably making a little more money than they were before coming over to NXT. But uh, it, it's maybe a little discouraging sort of being told like, yeah, you, you're just never going to be good for good enough for the main roster. They feel like hostages right now to me. Like I feel for some reason, I feel especially bad for Roderick Strong. He just seems lost. Like just like you could even I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but even looking at him when he's out there, he just has this kind of deer in the headlights. Like, what am I doing here? I'm better than this kind of expression on his face. Like, I mean, he you know, the guy was. One of the most anticipated in the acquisitions that they got, but and they got him about ten years too late. Also, I okay, mean, not, not that, that he's uh, any um, less talented than he was ten years ago, uh, but but now he's a thirty-eight-year-old guy, right? It's just sort of like I, I feel like part of this NXT transition is taking those guys who, for better or for worse, have not been uh, called up, and uh, maybe just kind of having a reality check and recasting them to say. Uh, look, you guys are just not not main roster guys, um, but you are important pieces of developmental. And I think they they maybe almost transition into sort of player coach roles where their role, you know, they did that for a number of years with guys like um, uh, what's his name? The, the authority figure in WWE, Adam Pierce, sorry, Adam Pierce. Um, who who never really wrestled for WWE, but they saw something in um and so they they saw some value in hiring him. And I, I wonder if that's what kind of becomes of all these guys who've just never been called up. It's just like, yeah, w- we feel like you've got something to offer. Even a Tommaso Ciampa, you put the title on him. But I but it's clear to me that they don't have super high hopes for him on the main roster. And his role might be to help get over uh, a Braun Breaker. Uh, it's just sort of revealing who who has been identified uh, as that type of wrestler. I imagine some of it has to do with age. You know, again, um, Roderick Strong pushing 40. Uh, even Io Shirai, who you, you thought would have been called up a long, long time ago, uh, still doesn't get called up. And I start to think, well, maybe she just never gets called up. I think the problem with some of them, like the worst thing that ever happened in hindsight to me to – Ciampa and Gargano is when they briefly, it wasn't even an official call up, I don't think, but they briefly brought them on Raw. Yeah. And they were there for a couple of weeks. They did an angle with somebody. And you saw these guys who were like the ultimate badasses of NXT. And it looked like they came from Munchkin land when they showed up on Raw. And I think that killed them, unfortunately. Yeah, that's the thing, you know, and, 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 um, I think a lot of people are are pointing that out about Adam Cole as well, that that now he's poised to be this huge star on AEW. Already is one in a lot of ways. And um, there was no side that he was gonna ever going to get any kind of break in WWE. But again, for better or for worse, that's their vision. You know, for WWE, he was too small. And, um, you know, as, as trivial as that might sound, it's real to them. And uh, they were never going to get past it. So I understand. Yeah. I understand it a bit. I do. I'm not saying I totally. I do too. He, he's, you know, it, to, to this day, there are some guys that uh, it's it's not the the best comparison. But I remember Ray Mysterio working with uh, Brock Lesnar a few years ago, and they had a fun match and a fun program. But that was, uh, you know, anybody who thought no, you know, Brock Lesnar should just be selling like crazy for Ray Mysterio. It's like no, you can't do that. No. And um, 
that was going to be a challenge for for Adam Cole as well. Right. Because he, you know, I I get it in a way, like I said, because he's obviously he's very talented. He's got great charisma. He's a great promo. He's over like gangbusters in AEW. I mean, if you were at the show like I was a couple of weeks ago, you heard people constantly doing the Adam Cole baby thing. Like, I mean, he is hugely over. But to look at him, you know. He He's small, even, even in AEW. Yeah, he doesn't even look like a wrestler. Like, it's not even that he's not, like, some massive, like, he's not Brock Lesnar. Like, he doesn't even have, like, muscle definition. No. His My arms are probably bigger than his arms, which isn't saying much. He just doesn't look like a wrestler. And I, I think, just looked up his height, and uh, uh, Wikipedia's got it as 5'11". I don't know if I could curse on this, but <laughs> I'm tempted to. Bull. I no, mean, there's I no way say, he's 5'11". No, he's probably like 5'8 or so, I would say. And, you know, you know, I mean, look, there's a place for him, absolutely, even on the main roster. But I could understand why how a Vince or even a Triple H would look and go, yeah, we can't really have you in main events with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, and it's a little bit ridiculous. Like, even Finn Balor is stretching it, but because the guy is has this larger-than-life vibe, I think it carries him a lot further than somebody his size would normally go, and he's a rarity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's where, where the roster is now. I mean, do you think where they end up uh, ended up is – essentially their response to AEW? I mean, do, do they see this as the best possible WWE right now? You mean NXT or, or just, or the main brand? All of it. I mean, I, I mean, I guess that's the idea of, of the, um, the draft is to sort of optimize everything, right? So putting all the right pieces in, in place. And, and if this is that, if this is WWE putting its best foot forward, um, it, is WWE in a better position now than it was three weeks ago? I, I think this is their version of putting their best foot forward, which alarms me even further. Because yeah. it shows me that this is not the same company that had WCW knocking on its door 25 years ago and, yeah. and, and blew up the world in response. Like, this is not the same company. And it does, at times, as a lifelong viewer feel like they're just rolling over and dying. Like they're still the industry leader for so many reasons, of course, but look at how much has changed in two years. And I'm thinking, what are we going to be saying five years from now? Like, like th- this is how things change in this business. You know what I mean? Like what's going to happen? This is not the direction of momentum that they want at all. Is is there a card that they can play that they, they're not playing? I mean, I think one thing that they could and should get in on is this whole idea about the the forbidden door, right? Yes. Um, and and AW has done a nice job creating all these relationships with different companies. There was some talk that WWE was talking to New Japan that that seemed to be part of uh, negotiations to keep um, Daniel Bryan, and it didn't work out. Uh, but I think that could have been a big difference maker. I wonder if there's still an opportunity to do something like that. I mean, I don't know. Ring of Honor's kind of left out uh, of some of this. Not that they have the notoriety or even the the talent depth to make much of a difference, but just in order to create some buzz and uh, a new pipeline, because it just doesn't exist anymore. You know, they they were working with Evolve um, for uh, a year or some years. That's how they were populating NXT for a while. Uh, they went away. 
So, and, and I know they've kind of taken the the opposite tact of let's stop looking at the Indies and let's just develop people ourselves. But um, I mean, I guess you can't, you don't know what you don't know. And, and um, you don't know who, who maybe is in the pipeline now that uh, we just don't know about because they don't have much of a body of work. A, a person like a Braun Breaker uh, maybe becomes that breakout star. I don't know. You know, Vince is really, and it's ironic to say because he changed the business, but he's from the old school in terms of like wrestling promoter mindsets and things. And I think that's hurting him and it's hurting the company right now. Like, for example, you know, in 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 one of my books, Pro Wrestling FAQ, I took a quote that Gore Vidal said and I applied it to Vince. And I really think it's true, which is it's not enough that I succeed. All of my enemies must fail. And that is really his point of view. Like, I think, yeah, I may sound like a lunatic here, but I think it's not out of the realm of something that could be done to have some type of loose working arrangement between the two companies. Yeah. And and I even think that that's something that Tony Khan would absolutely entertain if it was put on the table to have some kind of I'm not saying they just like merge together, but have some kind of thing where. You know, you could do these like crossover events where it's like Marvel versus DC, like that kind of thing, which those companies did do. I mean, like that could be done. And that would you want to talk about moving the needle that would that would move it like about 80 miles if they did something like that. But I don't think you will ever see it happen because that is absolutely not something, an idea that, in my opinion, that Vince McMahon would ever entertain. Like, I don't even think you could bring it up in his presence. So yeah. I, I just it happening and there's all kinds of obstacles in the way of that obviously from usa and tnt and fox um and then you know the challenge whenever this kind of thing has been uh, a tried in the past is booking your way out of it right so uh right. And, you know for example you know kenny omega and roman reigns that they headline wrestlemania next year all right well who wins that well um, what if they even you know they could even sidestep I mean, a couple of things entered my mind a while back when I was writing a story about it once. But I mean, if WWE really is for sale, um, if they get bought by I mean, I think most likely it would be it would be NBC Universal. But if they were to get bought, let's say, by Warner Media now, Warner Media owns TNT. So, right. I mean, you could see how they would be interested in doing something like that. But I even think like. You can get a, you can even get around and this is pure fantasy football speculation here, but you could get around the network issue if you made it any interaction that they had was basically like even like a once or twice a year pay-per-view where yeah. it's on the network so they can control what it is and they don't have to answer to USA or Fox or anybody, you know. I mean, you couldn't really push it on your weekly TV if you did that, but you know, you could push it through social media. I don't know. There's ways that it could be done is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'd say never say never. You know, um, there, if, if you're a, a comic book movie fan, you know, there's there stuff going on now in the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe that uh, seemed equally kind of uh, implausible just a few years ago. Uh, but yeah, I mean, sometimes there are these acquisitions and uh, behind the scenes and this company buys this one or absorbs this one and all kinds of new uh, opportunities present themselves. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, never say never. I, I think I asked Kenny Omega about about just this when I interviewed him some months ago about the whole Forbidden Door and, and asked, you know, what 
is is that out of the question, you know, working with WWE one day? And I forget exactly what he said, but I think it was essentially that. Never say never. I mean, certainly not. I think it's going to happen anytime soon. And there are ways to do this where the booking isn't so hard. So, yeah, if you have Kenny Omega versus um, Roman Reigns, that's tough to do. But if you have Kenny Omega versus Kevin Owens, that's not as hard to do, right? I mean, uh, or, right. or something like that. Yeah. Satisfy the audience with decisive finishes on some of those. And that that way on some of the other matches where you can't really quite do the decisive finish, like the audience will be a little more forgiving of that. I mean, look, I mean, years and years ago, there were title matches, WWF versus NWA, WWF versus AWA, AWA versus NWA. And you know what? Those matches almost never had a conclusive winner. Right. It was a time limit. It was yeah. You always got the the, the countout right. DQ to go to the draw. If, if I mean you don't want to go to that too many times, but but no, it's an option. You can't do it too often. You can't do it too often. But as a once in a while thing, you could probably get away with it. Yeah, and that's essentially what AEW has been doing with Impact uh, for for some time. Again, I think it's easier, uh, less controversial to have. Uh, Omega beat Rich Swan and 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 those types, uh, but these were things that they had to deal with too. Um, or you, and you could even, if you have your like, let's say the world champion on one brand is on one company is defending, not necessarily always against the world champion of the other company, but let's say just a challenger from the other company, somebody yeah. that that could lose. You know, like like if if Kenny Omega isn't. Defending against Roman Reigns, maybe he's defending against Kevin Owens or somebody like that. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. And then he could win conceivably. What, what's fascinating is, and and to some extent, you know, these conversations have always happened, um, but it it's always been in the interest of the other company wanting to work with WWE. And now yeah. um, talking about this, it's sort of well, what could WWE do to, to help prop them up? And it's yeah, I mean, it's one of the things you go to. Well, they they could always go work with AEW, which is the, the hot new thing, which is just crazy. I mean, the way uh, uh, tables have been turned there. So so uh, fascinating times. All right. Uh, thanks so much, Brian. Uh, as always, I appreciate you uh, checking in here. Um, and right now, let's hear from uh, another rising star from uh, a company making some waves. They've got their biggest show of the year, Bound for Glory, coming up. Uh, Impact Wrestling and the man challenging for uh, the Impact World uh, Championship is none other than the walking weapon, Josh Alexander. So, so let's jump into it. Um, we got Bountiful Glory uh, coming up uh, this month, the, the biggest Impact Wrestling show uh, of the year. I know you've been clawing now for 16 years. Um, what's that moment when, when you get tapped on the shoulder and are told uh, you're challenging for the world title at uh, Bountiful Glory? What's that like for you? Uh, complete and utter disbelief would be the easiest way to describe it. <laughs> you know, I, you get told these things and it, you say never say never in wrestling and all this stuff, but then also you say never get your hopes up in wrestling if you're a professional wrestler, if you've learned that lesson over the course of whatever time you've been in the business. So the second, you know, it got said to me that this is a possibility, uh, I had to put it in the back of my mind as a, that's never going to happen. But then, you know, as the monks roll on, uh, you know, everything kind of materializes into, you know, where we are now. And, you know, it started off with disbelief and it just, you have to settle into going through all these different emotions to, you know, just give the excitement and everything else and uh, try to get those under control leading into such a big match coming up on October 23rd. 
did, did you feel like you were on this trajectory or did it uh, take you a little bit uh, by surprise? I mean, obviously, when uh, you and Ethan went your separate ways and, and you got your singles uh, push up and uh, running, get the X Division title, did it feel like this was a natural path? Uh, natural, no. I, I felt like so. So I said to somebody in the writing team when I Ethan was going to leave the company when they were asking what they should do with me if I had any suggestions and stuff, and I said I don't know, man. On every indie I've been on the past, you know, five to ten years, people just give me good matches, let me wrestle, and I'll get over, and eventually I'll be your champion. Like that's that's just been that's been the recipe for success at every independent promotion I've started at in the last ten years. So that's that's what I said. I was just like, I don't know what else to offer you but that. And then kind of that's exactly what materialized. They just started giving me more opportunities and longer matches and bigger matches uh, throughout the whole, you know, pre-exhibition run leading into the exhibition run. And then that was the spot where I could really showcase what I could do because that's when, you know, you're really shouldering the load for having match of the night and stuff like that. And you're getting marquee matchups against people like ELP and Taurus and Jake something and TJP in an Ironman match. Like there's your match in that this year, I don't think. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, it all just snowballs into this thing where, yeah, I have this much momentum behind me because every opportunity you guys are giving me, I'm just making the absolute best of it and killing myself trying to make sure that I get noticed with every single one of these opportunities. So to say, like, it, it, it's a natural course of things, but to have it only happen in under a year, that that surprises me for sure. Yeah, yeah. Is, is it extra special that it's a Christian Cage that, that you're working with? And, and, and certainly that's not to put down the, the many great uh, wrestlers who have held that title. But in Christian Cage, you're talking, you know, a guy who, who talked about as a bona fide legend, a, a, a major name, uh, you know, some people with the future uh, Hall of Famer, has that impact title around his waist again, and again, headlining the biggest show with you. So, you know, as a guy coming up through the Canadian wrestling scene, when Christian was a, a top guy, is it make it extra special? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I've said it before in promos and I, I just keep saying it. He grew up 10 miles away from where I grew up. So when I was 10 years old and I turned on, you know, a show and saw him jumping off of a ladder through a table hailing from Orangeville, Ontario, I was just like, damn, somebody from like my town made it all the way over to Madison Square Garden. Like that's insane. Like that just puts like the spark in my mind that wrestling is even a possibility. But like, this specific matchup, being able to like challenge Christian Cage for the world championship as like the match where I'm going to try to prove that I can be a main eventer, that I can try to prove that I can be a world champion. I can draw many comparisons to Christian back in 2004 when he bet on himself and he came to Impact Wrestling because he wanted to prove that he could be a main eventer. He could prove to be a world champion and he did that. So, like I, I draw the comparisons that way with that, and you know it makes it that much sweeter for sure. Yeah. I imagine there are people who um, used to follow Impact, maybe uh, a lost touch um, over the years, and now you got they know the, the Bound for Glory brand. They're curious about the big matches this year. They know who Christian Cage is. Maybe never heard of Josh uh, Alexander. Is that extra motivation for you um, to, to sort of maybe prove yourself in front of a lot of fans that maybe aren't that familiar with you? Absolutely. There's a, this enormous gaping chip on my shoulder because <laughs> uh you know social media is like not a complete barometer for how everybody thinks but there's a lot of people out there that have no idea who i am that might be tuning into this like you said and, you know i can't wait for them to to see me for the first time because i'm going to give them a dose of something that i don't think they were expecting yeah yeah 
Uh, let's go back to, to Ethan uh, leaving uh, the company. You know, I, I know you, you've worked singles uh, a lot through your career, but for a lot of people, they knew you as one half of, of uh, North. You know, when we did the um, the first uh, PWI Tag Team 50 last year, you guys were on the cover. You're one of the top-ranked teams. You know, we, we very much, a lot of people very much looked at you as a tag team wrestler. Was, was that a little... Uh, you know, what was that like for you? Were, were, were you nervous now, uh, not having that safety blanket? I don't know if you want to call it that, but but now going uh, on your own and um, having the spotlight completely on you and, and not having your partner and your good friend to also lean on. Uh, I wouldn't say I was nervous. I was probably more kind of excited for the new challenge because I, I personally, for me, it's it's all about what's next and what's new and you know, how to, how to excite myself all over again and stuff like that. And like, I'm not going to say the tag team run wasn't exciting towards the end, but it definitely got to a point where it was getting a lot easier. So when, you know, I had that new challenge of stepping out on my own and, you know, having the focus solely on me and seeing if I could hang and, you know, climb to these heights that I'm at now, like it it was definitely exciting for me. And, uh, you know, I've made the best of it, I guess. This might be an incredibly stupid question, but it just came to mind. Do, do, do you look at Ethan now with a new partner? And I wonder if, like, that's kind of weird for you. <laughs> sort of like, you know, seeing, seeing your girlfriend with another guy. Um, and it's one thing if you both go on and you have your singles career, but, but here he is having success in a tag team with somebody who is not you. Is, is that a little weird? I mean, I guess, I guess in the sense like an ex girlfriend or something, you can look at it and be like, I don't think he's as good as I was with him. You know <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, I can, I can look at it like that. Not, not that I actually even think that. Uh, I think that the dynamic between those two, complete opposite of what it was between me and him. Like you're going to get with any pairing, and they, they're just going to showcase themselves in a completely different way. For sure, the first time I saw it, I was just like. Like in my head, I'm just like, I wonder, I wonder if this is going to fit as good as we fit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool for yeah. you. Again, your, your old friend, your old partner, in the spotlight he ha- that he has, working with Sting on on national television, uh, that kind of stuff. That that that's got to make you proud. Yeah, the, the Sting stuff, the working with Jericho and stuff like that. Like just the the little bucket list things that I can see he's checking off along the way. It's just like it makes me proud for sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you were coming up and or getting started um, in, in wrestling when, um, you know, what some people would say was Impact or, or TNA at the time, their, their glory years, right? You're talking 2005, 2006, when uh, they had, you know, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles on top and were really making waves as uh, the, the number two. Do you have memories? And were you a fan uh, back then um, of, of Impact? Yeah, I was a huge fan. I ordered the very first Wednesday night pay-per-view with my friends when yeah. I was like, I think it was like 15 or 16 years old. And like, it completely changed my idea of what wrestling could be because I- I'd seen cruiserweights before, but I never saw X division guys. And then like, even, even like the stuff they were doing in the heavyweight division, like guys like Abyss and stuff like that. Like it was just, it was something different. I was, I was a wrestling fan, but I had fallen out of love with it because there wasn't that alternative to what I was seeing every Monday night. And then the second impact started, it was just like, that was exactly what I needed. And I was a fan from day one. When you finally came into the company, obviously a, a lot had changed. There were, they were in a rebuilding uh, a phase. Um, did, did you feel like you were working for that TNA that you watched on TV? Did it feel like something com- completely new? 
No, I, I kind of felt like I was working for that TNA because a, a lot of the people in management that were in the locker room had kind of come around to being the exact same people that were there at the early years. Like you're talking about Scott Demore and Don Callis and these people. Uh, you know, if I had come into the company six or seven years earlier, I might not have felt that way because management and everything else was completely different. But I think the, the, I guess the ethos or whatever of the company had kind of come around to being the exact same thing it was in those early years and that building phase of wanting to get all eyes on this company. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, uh, uh, or, or how cool is it to have some of those guys that you just mentioned that, that were part of the formative days and, uh, whether it's Scott or, or Christian, obviously, uh, Eric Young, Chris Saban, Petey Williams, Hernandez, you know, there's still a lot of those legacy guys around. Does, does that help kind of getting a lay of the land? Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it helps like with me being able to go to somebody like D'Lo Brown, who I looked up to so much as a young fan and then as an impact fan, him tagging with AJ Styles is one of my favorite things of all time. And like, just being able to pick his brain and ask him old stories of like stuff that used to happen back in the day when I was a fan and stuff like that. Like it, it makes it all that much cooler of a working environment. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely like this, this Canadian kind of uh, influence that, that came in um, around the time Anthem bought of uh, the company and, and uh, Scott and, and Don got uh, involved. Uh, is that a point of pride for you to see your your country? Re- I mean, it's 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 this American wrestling company in some ways, but there's very much these Canadian overtones. Uh, but you know, in, in a good way, you see all these amazing Canadian talents, and, and there's there's they seem to embrace that, right? Yeah, and like I, I think that we need more eyes on the Canadian independent scene. I think there's a lot of people that deserve opportunities that are on the Canadian independent scene. Luckily, I was able to get it through Impact Wrestling and stuff like that. And for them to showcase, like, there's I, I could probably name a dozen Canadians that are in the locker room right now, which is an insane amount of people, <laughs> yeah, uh, just numbers wise. And for us to be able to represent, you know not that we're all representing Canada or a country, but we're certainly all proud to be Canadian wrestlers and to show these people, these young Canadian independent talents that there's a place you go is it, it definitely means something to me. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting this, this big break and we had a lot over your career, but, but this might be the biggest. Um, and it comes 16 years into uh, you being um, in, in the wrestling business. Is there any part of that that's bittersweet, you know, where you're kind of looking at the clock and, and you're still a relatively young guy, but, uh, it's a long time to have put in. So again, is there any pressure that I really got to make these these next few years count because I don't know how long, how much longer you could be doing this, right? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say there's pressure that way. Uh, maybe maybe you know it's foolish of me to think this way, but I I just have this thing like if I if I can do what I love and I'm happy doing it, then I I don't want to put any like boundaries or any like any specific like milestones on it for me to be happy. Like I, I'm just happy being a professional wrestler. Everything else just sweetens the pot. So the fact that, you know, this is my career, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, the, the struggles and everything that it took me to get to this point, that all prepared me for like moments like this. This is why this climb that I've had as a singles wrestler in this, in under a year to be main event in the biggest show in impact wrestling in the main event against somebody like Christian cage for that world championship I think that wouldn't materialize if I didn't learn all those lessons along the way for 16 years. If I came in here after, you know, five, six years experience, I don't think I'd be in the positions that I'm in right now because I wouldn't have been able to make the best of this opportunity. Yeah. And and you talked about it on social media. In, in some ways, you only very recently became a full-time wrestler, right? Yeah, yeah. And that that's solely on me. Like, I, I there's always those negative people that want to point out 
something that like I, you know, there's, there's problems with money or anything like that. No, I live in Canada. I live in a city where a modest home costs you a million dollars and I have two children and a wife. <laughs> so there was always just this, this thing with me holding my second career that I had outside of wrestling as kind of my security blanket. You know, I didn't want to get hurt or anything like that. And I probably could have quit, you know, four or five years ago. I just, I, I never wanted to take the leap. And then, you know, I got laid off and I figured it was the perfect time for me to, it was a push in the right direction I needed, right? So, I mean, that way everything lines up right, right? I mean, if you're ever going to get laid off, I guess this is the time to do it, right? When you, you are prepared to become a top guy, it's a major wrestling company. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I was thinking about it, and, like, the second it happened, I was just like, for now, like, I, I, I never say everything happens for a reason until these past few years that I can look back at all these hardships and speed bumps I hit along the way and been like, this happened because of this and this happened because of this. So it all makes sense now. So like I look at getting laid off from my job and rather than get upset about it, I was just like, Oh, this is happening for a reason. I need to follow this. So it it happened at the perfect time. Have you questioned whether holding another job held you back at all in in any ways and and that you you couldn't be a hundred percent committed, focused to wrestling? It, It certainly did earlier on in my career. I have so many friends that, you know, they made it within the first five to six years because they were able to stay at home with their parents and not work and, you know, just put everything they could into pro wrestling. Unfortunately for me, I just like, once I turned 18, my parents, like, I had no more parents. They're, 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 that's it. I don't have any family other than my wife and two children and her family. So uh, I was on my own at 18 and I just, I had to work to live and I had to work to fund my wrestling habit as well. So that, that's why I had to work so hard my entire life. What were there situations, and maybe this happened often, where you couldn't take a booking like on a Sunday because you had to be on the job site on Monday morning? Uh, there was a couple of those, but usually I would honestly just drive through the night and on no sleep, you know, show up to work an hour late and just work through the day. I, I always made that work, and yeah. I, I paid for it the next day. You worked in construction, right? Yeah, and luckily, like, through the, the company I got into, the trades I, I, I was in, like, I, I just... I overworked while I was at work so that they would understand when I had to take time off. And I almost made myself indispensable. Yeah. Did, did yeah. that group, your, your old coworkers in, in the construction trade, um, do you feel like they're cheering you on now? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I have a few of them on social media and stuff like that over the years. And for them to like, they'll check in every once in a while. And when, especially that one post where I said, I'm, you know, going out and just being a wrestler now, like so many of them were just like, Oh, it's about time. You should have done this years ago. <laughs> yeah. And they're all cheering on because like, I don't know, it, there's this, there's this team mentality when you're on the job site with all these guys, you know, you come up together, you share all your hardships together and uh, for them to see me have some monetary amount of success. That's, that's great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But let me ask you a, a bit about the, the world uh, a title and uh, one perspective you could bring to a conversation we've had at, at Pro Wrestling Illustrated is, you know, is, is this title a world title? And for um, a while, we didn't recognize it as a world title. And then we did for a few years. And then um, for, for um, the last several years, we didn't again until relatively recently where a new editor in chief um, began recognizing several championships as, as official world championships, including uh, Impact's world title. What does that title uh, mean to you? I mean, where do you see it in terms of, of prestige um, in, in the wrestling business? I, I feel it's a very prestigious championship when you look at the history of it over the past 20 years and who's held it and where it's been defended and all these other things. Uh, I, I don't know like the, 
what goes into considering championships, world championships or not, but I would certainly consider this one a world championship for me, seeing as it's broadcast around the world, people all over see it and support it. That forbidden door also changes things because people from all over the world, from different promotions come in and challenge for it at any time. So it's definitely, uh, it's definitely surreal that I will even be challenging for it. And if I am able to call myself an impact world champion, uh, you know, I'll have to go through the emotions of that afterwards. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the forbidden door. It was something I hadn't thought of. But so so when you think about winning that title, uh, do you think about the prospect? I mean, do you look at the AEW roster, the, the NWA roster, uh, New Japan, and have your eyes on, on all of that? I mean, do you see yourself taking that belt um, all over the world and defending it against uh, the top guys in all those companies? I mean, I hadn't really thought about it, but I would love, I would love that. <laughs> I would totally embrace taking that world championship all around the world and challenging the very best from wherever I'm at, and you know, showing that Impact Wrestling can hang with anybody. Yeah. What What do you think about where Impact has been? You know, obviously, again, they they went through this um, growing period after some some rough years, uh, kind of starting all, all over again now have made some strides in the last couple of years, rebuilt uh, some of their audience, like everybody else, dealt a big blow by, by COVID. Um, but what do you see uh, as, as kind of th- their presence and um, their future? Is it a company that you think is still growing? And, and what are the heights that it could achieve? Uh, I definitely think it's it's still growing. I think Impact Wrestling, for me personally looking at it, I, I think it's a, it's a healthy alternative to – the mainstream wrestling companies that you have. Uh, we we can showcase things like the knockouts. We can showcase things like the X Division in ways that those other companies might not be able to focus on that kind of stuff. And I think that's what can set us apart. And then, you know, with people like me, Ace Austin, Christian Cage, Moose up in with the, the heavyweight title ranks, uh, you know, vying for position up there. I think there's just different matchups and stuff like that can happen. And with the relationship impact wrestling carries with so many of these companies, you're going to see, you know, matches that you might not ever have been able to see happen because of that. So I, I think it just adds a healthy alternative. And, and I, I definitely think it's got, it's, it's definitely got room to grow for sure. Yeah. I, and I, I, I feel, I, I felt the growth over the past, you know, I've only been here two and a half years. I felt growth since the moment I stepped through the door in the fan base and everything else that's happened. And I, I think it's only going to continue to do so, especially now coming out of COVID. But was it disheartening working through the, the pandemic in front of, you know, completely empty uh, uh, buildings? Um, uh, again, for, for a guy whose who's business is performing in front of live crowds, again, that, that's got to make it tough. And do, do you envision the forward to the day where Impact is back in front of, you know, potentially some pretty big crowds? I, I definitely envision these, these very big crowds. I look back on some of the older shows from like 2008 through 2011 and I see those crowds. I'm just like, we need to get back to that point. And I know I'm hungry for it. I know a lot of other people in the company are hungry for that kind of stuff, but you just can't do it too fast. So we're working up to it, but uh, throughout the pandemic and stuff, when you say working in front of nobody, it's, it's disheartening or disappointing or anything like that. And, uh, I, I don't know if this makes me crazy or whatever. I guess I'm a maniac, but I, I embraced it. I loved it because, I thought the aspect of no crowd being there, no distractions like that, all focus was going to be on the in-ring work. And I think that's why, like, Magic, me and TJP stood out so much to the wrestling world because, you know, we we pride ourselves on being very good in the ring. So, you know, there's no holes in our game. So if you put the magnifying glass on it, you're not going to find anything, whereas you might with other people. So it was only to our advantage 
to have that's no crowd there, I think. Do you think maybe, you know, the pandemic helped to give you this opportunity? For sure, at the start coming out, because I was going from being in a in a heel tag team for two years, stepping out on my own as a singles wrestler, switching babyface nearly right away, and I didn't have a crowd that had to react to me and learn to like me at the time. It was just like, all of a sudden, I guess he's a babyface. And that made the transition that much easier, and then I was just able to establish, you know, through the, the countless opportunities and wrestling matches I had. So by the time crowds showed up at the anniversary for Ultimate X, they had followed along with nearly everything I'd done to that point and seen like all the matches. So they were ready to go. Yeah. It kind of catered to, to your specialty, which is the, the in-ring product, you know? So, uh, well, it's interesting. Yeah. All right, Josh, it looks like, thanks so much, man. Uh, everybody, uh, is going to be cheering you on. I think it's uh, an exciting time to be an impact wrestling fan. And watching, uh, story. Cool, man. Thank you. All right, man. Take care. Good luck.